GeorgiaBulldogsAthens.com and the Athens Banner Herald. This is the Georgia Bulldogs podcast. Bulldogs Extra. Now, Mark Weiser and Ryan Dennis. Welcome in. It's the Bulldogs Extra podcast. It is Wednesday afternoon, and uh, Ryan, I'm surprised that you showed up for the podcast. I know that you were, uh, I think I saw you kind of running around the streets of Athens uh, early morning with something about uh, some tomahawk chop you, chop you were doing. Hey, you were, hey, hey. You were talking, to, I mean, he wasn't satisfied with the World Series championship. He was chanting, sign Freddie, sign Freddie. <laughs> that is true. They need to sign a few people. Uh, Matzik, I think, they need to sign him, but... Yeah, I'm sure uh, that downtown was a fiasco last night. I did not make it downtown because uh, it was past my bedtime, uh, and I did not stay up uh, doing shots of booze and I all that stuff. Say, I thought you were going to say you didn't step to watch the Braves win. <laughs> oh, no. I, yeah, I was up to the end and, and watched a lot of post-game show, but did not make it downtown. I was worried I'd wake up this morning and be like, cars ablaze in Athens or sofa set on fire in front of Fret House or something like that, but I have not seen those reports just yet. Do you think the feeling that you had last night for the Braves' first World Series championship since 1995? Yes. How will that compare if Georgia on January 11th is the uh, national champions in football? Well, see, that's weird because I didn't get much of a feeling last night. I mean, it felt good, you know, and you were happy. And I got a little misty-eyed, you know. Maybe, when, because, it, maybe because it was like, was the final score nine? Was it nine or eight? Seven, seven. seven so it was, yeah, maybe if it was a... Uh, like a 3-2 game? Yeah, and, you know, you get a strikeout to win it or a home run to win it or something like that. But uh, I don't know. I mean, it felt good. And like I said, uh, when they showed Snicker in the dugout, you know, with kind of tears and hugging all of his coaches that that got me choked up a little bit but i don't know uh 14 year old me doesn't get the same feelings about sports nowadays as uh 36 year old me so but i mean i was very excited i was happy for you know all the all the fans the braves atlanta you know i guess you could say a curse is broken a little bit so uh but yeah now the georgia needs to take that and uh and and not screw it up and uh that will be a different feeling i'm sure for a lot of people kirby smart or somebody uh, that has control of his Twitter account <laughs> tweeted tweet tweet out this morning. Is that Lee, you think Josh Lee might uh, I, I run his I, Twitter? I don't know. Um, tweeted out, you know, congrats to the Braves, and then like inviting uh, their their mascot is it Blooper? Yeah, Blooper. Blooper. To, and, uh, and any Brave that wanted to attend, apparently. right? To, to the game on Saturday, and uh, you know, I mean. I don't know much about Blooper. Can you kind of fill me in on Blooper? Yeah, he was uh, born in 2018 out of the idea of uh, the marketing department. Um, <laughs> I, I don't, you know, I guess it was supposed to replace the old Homer, uh, the Brave they had uh. as, a, as a mascot with a baseball on his head or whatever uh. that was. So, uh, But yeah, I mean, uh, he said he's coming, right? Blooper there with all of his tricks and stuff. He has done some pretty funny stuff. I think it's supposed to be, you know, the Braves version of the Philly Where, where will he be? Will we see him on the field? I like hope a, on the, the sideline. Side really? Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping maybe standing on that platform over there. Yeah. Leading the student section, that'd yeah. be fun. I mean, how many guys are on the World Series roster? Is it twenty-five? Is twenty-seven? I might be twenty-six, maybe, because uh, they allow one extra for. COVID I mean, you reasons. you got to be able to get one of the, the Braves here, right? Yeah, well, you know, I met uh, Brian Snicker in the press box right. a couple years ago. Right. Uh, you know, he was there with uh, Bill Shanks, who writes occasionally what, for what, us. What, what game was that at? Shoot, I can't remember. It was a yeah, cold I, remember, one. I remember seeing him. Yeah, yeah, maybe Auburn late in the year, but. Um, you know, I, I would imagine there'd be a brave or two on the sideline, uh, and I'm gonna go ahead and call it that Tomahawk Chop will get going at some point in Sanford Stadium. I mean, they've already brought back the wave this year, uh, which I had never seen ever in Sanford Stadium, and they've done it twice now at games. So it, I'm sure that they'll either show they'll here. Here's what's gonna happen, Mark. You ready? Mm-hmm. They're going to show either blooper or, you know, some brave will be on the sideline uh, during the game. They're going to zoom in on them and say World Series champ. The tomahawk chop is going to start in mass around Sanford Stadium. Sounds like you're leading the charge on that. So, uh, yeah, it'll be kind of cool to see. I won't lie. Um, all right. So, I guess the second biggest news of uh, Tuesday night was the first college football playoff rankings that came out. And why, Ryan, tell me, wh- what are you outraged about? I mean, Georgia's number one. Which Alabama makes- number two is ridiculous. Really. Uh, no, they probably are the second best team. Uh, you know, I mean, what does go on in those meetings? I'm sure uh, they're probably having that same conversation. Like, is one loss Alabama going to lose to Michigan State? I mean, probably not. I'll be honest with you. So, 
you know, I, I was pleased to see them rank Michigan State so high. You know, coming off of Michigan State's third, coming off of the Michigan win, having a great year. Mel Tucker, you know, a guy everybody can root for until he's at LSU next year. <laughs> I kid, I kid. But you know, I I think it shows how much they don't value Cincinnati and their conference, and really kind of the struggles they've had of late too by putting them at six. Oregon's four, Ohio State five, Cincinnati six. Um, you know, I would probably have Cincinnati and Ohio State fl- uh, flip-flopped. I mean, Ohio State does have a loss. Cincinnati won on the road at Notre Dame. Um, and, you know, what does it matter now? I mean, Ohio yeah. State's got a chance to surge up there if they win the Big Ten and they go unbeaten the rest of the way. Cincinnati doesn't really have a chance to rise. I mean, they're kind of stuck at six now, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're going to have to... This will be a thing where when they get up on people, they're going to keep putting up points. Well, it's not just that. 75 nothing. Yeah, but I don't think that matters as much as they need. Uh, Others to lose. Right, yeah. right. They need to have a, a, you know, a chance. Like, you know, Bama losing to Georgia would presumably knock them out of the top four. Yeah, um, you, you would know. think. <laughs> well, as a two-loss team, I don't, I don't know if you can leave an unbeaten Cincinnati out and put a two-loss Bama in. Unless... It's like another one of those classic games that we've seen Georgia and Alabama have. Yeah. So, uh, in fact, I was talking with somebody before I came in here today. Like, what happens if Al- Alabama and Georgia go into overtime, Georgia wins? Uh, I mean, yes, they'll have two losses, but how will the committee view that? You know, they took the best team in the country by far down to the wire and, you know, nearly beat them. So. Alabama's got to get by Auburn still. But here's the question, at sorry, Auburn. too. Yeah, so – that would take you back two, three years ago, right, when Georgia took Alabama down to the wire in yeah. the SEC championship. Why did they not get in as a two-loss team? Yeah. Do you want to see two uh, Georgia-Alabama games this year? Nope. <laughs> if I was a Georgia fan, I would uh, I would hope that Georgia would lose the first one, to be honest with you. Yeah, because I would, I would feel better about my chances in a second game. Because you're still going to be in undefeated Georgia, you would imagine. Right, right, right. Especially if it's a close loss to Alabama. All right. Um, hey, you know, I was the only AP writer a couple weeks ago that had Minnesota ranked, uh, and the committee has them at 20. And Minnesotians were applauding you greatly. I did get a bunch of new Twitter followers from Minnesota. <laughs> um, I did go to a Twins game there about four years ago, and it was uh, it was enjoyable. Nice park. I hope you went in the summer, right? Uh, it was like May, I think. Ooh, still could have um, been snowing. No, it wasn't. It was not. It was fine. Um, yeah, it was a nice. It's a nice park. Um but uh, that just shows that um, I must be kind of a uh, influencer, so that they followed my lead. Um, Mark Weiser, influencer. We uh, we're going to talk Missouri, and uh, that's the team coming up that Georgia's playing Saturday. We're going to have Eric Bloom on from the Columbia Daily Tribune to break down this matchup. Georgia is a thirty-nine point favorite last time. Oh episode. my goodness. We'll get to that in the picks and yeah. see, see if that's too much for you. Uh, here's a quote from Gary Barda, the Iowa athletic director, who is the chair of the committee. Uh, he said last night that Georgia was seen as the number one team, hands down. I mean, that's pretty pretty clear, right? Hands down. And what do they say with the Longhorns? Oh, uh, hook hooks down no, or, or no. horns down. Or horns down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not the same there. Um, hey, Ron, we haven't mentioned this yet, but uh, Georgia beat Florida. Did you know that? I uh, was aware of that, yes. And... Uh, Man, what a change in everything in the last two minutes of that first half. Did you uh, did you purchase your SEC East champion Georgia Bulldog shirts? No, I have not. Though my dad's birthday is today, I probably should get him a uh, SEC champion uh, T-shirt since he's a big Georgia Bulldog fan. Maybe a Braves World Series shirt, though I probably won't be able to find those for a few months. But uh, yeah, that uh, I'm sure those went like hotcakes too. Yeah, did uh, the store that was selling them out on Atlanta Highway, did they sell out already? Uh, it probably. I, I hadn't got that email yet about uh, if they've sold out or what their status is, but I'm sure that there were people waiting at the door this morning when they opened. 34-7, Georgia over Florida, and as we mentioned, the fourth SEC East title in five seasons under Kirby Smart. That's pretty good. That's very good, yeah. Um, but the SEC East is not uh, – look, it's only important when you don't win it. Like I mean, it's important mostly because you've got a chance to, to win the SEC championship, which will, you know, most years get you in the playoff. But, you know, you don't really hear much about before season, like, hey, we got to win that East. Well, right, uh, because, like you said, it, it has been down. Now, last year, obviously, was a different story, when uh, and it usually comes down to Georgia-Florida, but 
the way that uh, things have shifted this year, Dan Mullen doesn't exactly have that program going in, in the right direction. But, you know, the thing in the past would have been Georgia wins a down east or something like that. I, I, I mean, the way that Georgia's dominated everybody, mm-hmm. you know, Arkansas, Auburn, who's now turned into, you know, other than that Georgia State kind of debacle, has turned into a pretty darn good team over there on the west. And Georgia pretty much had their way with them, too. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think – people are saying that georgia's winning the down east i think they're just saying georgia's that good that nobody in the east has a shot and really nobody in the country right now it appears ryan stetson bennett threw an interception uh, near the end of the first half and it was three nothing georgia but what happened it looked like um the bulldogs kind of just tore the the lid off that thing i mean you had well yeah the funny thing uh you had a bunch of bunch of turnovers the funny thing was that uh yeah i was i was actually watching that game i don't know if you saw it, it was on i think the sec network uh, uh right before we came in to do the podcast you mean today today yeah oh, I, I, I was watching it saturday i was in, i was in the press box <laughs> i watched it then you know you got to give it a good second look just to see everything uh but yeah that was an awful throw by stetson there uh i think he's trying to hit fitzpatrick on a wheel route or something and the only two people standing there were florida players but the big thing about that was the guy came out to about the one yard line and then, uh, yeah, it was pretty miraculous how Nolan Smith took that ball out of Richardson's hands. Georgia scored one play later. And then, of course, they tried to throw it. And uh, Nolan with an interception. And then, of course, then the Kobe Dean. And, you know, I, I remember Gary Danielson, our guest last week, saying it on the telecast that, you know, all Florida really needed was a first down to go into halftime 3 nothing. And they were about a yard and a half short of that when Nolan takes the ball out. And before you can bat an eye, it was 24 to nothing. And, I mean, that just goes to show you how good this Georgia defense is. Trayvon Walker, let's give him a little credit for that. He uh, batted the ball? Is that uh, ba- Batted the ball on yeah. Nolan Smith's interception. But um, impressive with how – I don't know how many guys it was like four or five Georgia guys were kind of uh, you know carrying or uh, gliding with uh, Richardson down four or five yards and they were Nolan was was pecking away trying to get that thing out of there and did. I mean he just pretty much just put it, both arms around it and pulled like it was uh, you know pulling a uh, something out of a of a creek or something. I don't know. It was impressive. Stetson, uh, we talked about a throw that wasn't good, but he then. Found Kyrus Jackson on after one of those turnovers, uh, 36 yards in the uh, left corner of the end zone. Uh, yeah, that was after the Nolan interception. Nice, uh, yeah. nice touchdown catch for Jackson, who looks like he's uh, kind of back to form a little bit. I mean, uh, had a nice uh, kick return in that game. Had three catches, and um, you know, we're hearing about all the young guys. That's a little bit more of a savvy vet that's uh, kind of risen. Yeah, up and you had that. a little story on him earlier this week about him getting back. You know, it, he's always had a, a little bit of an injury bug, and and it's not anything fluky i mean he broke his hand against vanderbilt a couple years ago and then of course this year trying to come all the way back but yeah it's good to see kiaris out there and like you said a good read by Stetson on on that play i think he had uh uh, the safety and single man coverage and went right to him once kiaris went by the guy so yeah very good to see uh kiaris back on the field is that the pronunciation of evan butchering his name who jackson kiaris kiaris yeah yeah i think i think you had it right I thought I was calling him Curious. Okay, I, don't, I don't remember now. I think I rewind the, uh, the podcast to, to listen. We need to go to the pronunciation guide online. Listen to Scott Howard say it. Hey, there was a lot of talk. We talked to, uh, or I asked Gary Danielson about Florida's recruiting before the game on Saturday. And then Dan Mullen was asked about, you know, does this kind of show a big separation between these teams talent-wise? And Mullen's a little bit... Um, I Feisty? Would, well, I, would, I wouldn't use the word cranky either. Uh, he's not gonna. He's not gonna bite on that kind of stuff. He's gonna push off every kind of narrative that there might be, and that's probably a true narrative. But he said, "I don't know what you know. We beat them last year. They beat us this year. So is that talent? I don't know. Something like that." He said. So, and then he was asked again Monday at, at Florida's regular weekly news conference about recruiting, and he said, "You know what? This is this is football time. It's not the time to talk about recruiting. We'll yeah, talk that, about that during recruiting time." That backfired pretty bad. I think he walked it back already today. Oh, yeah, did he? Okay. Yeah. Well, he, that's his only other interview yeah. of the week, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I think what you know everybody is harping on is like Georgia clearly has the better team this year and the fact that you're 22nd in the 2022 class rankings compared to number one Georgia that's not a good look either so you know there is a quite a disparity you know a big gap between the two right now and as far as recruiting goes all right um hey you uh 
You worried about Jack Podlesny, Mister? Uh, I've been worried about Jack for a while. Oh, okay. I mean, he hadn't he hadn't uh, inspired any I mean, faith he, he, in he, anybody. He so made far. a twenty-one yarder that I think kind of barely missed barely it. in the left upright. Yeah, yeah. Missed another one. He missed an extra point earlier this year. What was he about five hundred this year on field goals? No, he's uh, twelve of sixteen. That's better than I thought. Maybe, uh, maybe just because he was really good last year that those kind of stand out more this year. And of course. Uh, the fact that he did that last year, coming off of the heels of uh, you know Rodrigo, uh, was was very impressive. And I guess you just assumed he would keep that going. But uh, you know maybe that short little chippy that he barely hooked in there will give him uh, some confidence going forward. All right, a bunch of awards uh, semifinalists came out this week. Ryan, who has the best chance from Georgia to win an award? Do you think? Uh, Nakobe. What do you think? Buckus. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Now, I mean, uh, now the athletic did a straw poll for the Heisman, and and I mean, Jordan Davis to me didn't flash as much this week. I mean, you know, which but his position really isn't about that as much. I mean, he's you know he's the anchor of this great run defense, just this great front seven, but he's second now in their uh, straw poll. I don't get this. I mean, look, Jordan Davis is great. I mean, and, and I guess. When you when you use it as a stat based award, that it's always going to go to an offensive player. But he, I mean, he doesn't have those stats, and I know that's different for a nose tackle. But it is kind of surprising to me that, and I feel like it's something that's been drummed up by fans and somewhat the media and whatnot. But I, I'm not I'm not so sure that Jordan Davis should be up for the Heisman. Send your emails to. <laughs> I'm gonna Jordan. Jordan you're gonna hear from Jordan Davis. Yeah. Oh no, never mind. Hey, hey put it. Put Not it from him. him. You can hear he's from a, a, he's a win. He's gonna hear from his mama. Yeah. All right. Hey, two things before we bring on our, our guest to talk Missouri. I don't know how we've gone this far. We did mention Stetson Bennett's name. I was gonna but, bring it up if you didn't. But. Um, Stetson, JT, JT did not, JT Daniels did not play at all, even though there was, you know, some talk beforehand, will, you know, will they, will they get in for a certain series, uh, that kind of thing, you know, what, what is your take on the quarterback situation? I want to remind you again, Georgia won 34 to seven, Stetson Bennett, which we haven't mentioned, six carries, 35 yards, had a, a 20 yard uh, run where Brenton Cox, I don't know if he gave up on the play, but yeah, <laughs> that, I mean, he just got outrun by Stetson Bennett, which, you know, one of them was a five-star and the other was a walk-on. You know, I was going to say uh, something snarky on, on Twitter when that happened. Like, I wonder if that's what Stetson did against him, you know, in prep for the uh, Rose Bowl a few years back. Was I think Brenton was a freshman that was year, he on right? The team then? I don't even I think know. he was a freshman. I don't, I don't, I'm not even sure if he was. Um, look, that's, that's the kind of play – um, that keeps Stetson Bennett as quarterback. Now he's been playing, you know, making, you know, pinpoint passes um, before this week. I'm saying before the Florida game, uh, you know, he doesn't have the arm that, that that JT Daniels has. But you know, they didn't rock the boat. They didn't they didn't make a quarterback change. How many performances like Stetson just had in terms of a couple interceptions? Do you think will will cause a, a you know JT to get the job back? Yeah, I think uh, th- they need to ease JT back. I'm not so sure that Stetson's lost his starting job yet, um, but I, I do feel like you have to get into some sort of uh, rhythm or or at least uh, have a plan in place to where JT gets a series or two and gets back in there. I mean, cause I th- I think too many people just do not feel inspired uh, at what. Stetson can do, you know, especially I mean, the reason they were up 24 to 3 the other day was because the defense uh, you know, saved him there late in the first half. And he did make the good throw to Kiaris, but then I mean, there's just a couple throws where you just kind of cringe and you're like, why would you, you know, would JT make those throws? Why is Stetson trying to fit those in? Now, Stetson's, you know, been the guy that's led to what cover the spread in in pretty much every game that he's been in uh, so far this year so you know does he do enough you're right about him running I mean that is something that he gives it that uh, JT Daniels does not but I think you got to start getting JT or you know a series or two and uh, you know hope that JT comes back and and he, I, th- I think that that's the man you got to roll with uh, when you go up against the Alabamas of the world Mark Rick will be honored on Saturday at halftime. They're going to be, about, I'm told, about 40 captains of his uh, joining him on the field for the ceremony. Um, it's been six years since uh, Georgia parted ways with, with Rick. They uh, made a great hire, it looks like, with Kirby Smart, and the program is number one and is on path 
for a uh, which looks like a good chance to to make a playoff run and get to the championship game and and you know maybe finish it where they didn't uh, yeah. in 2017. Um, Mark Rick is back in town. He is part of the community. He's still beloved. Um, and uh, it'll be a chance now for Georgia to say thanks and the fans to say thanks. What is your um, kind of thoughts on what Mark Rick meant to Georgia football? Oh, I think I think he he kind of I won't say saved the program because I think that you know what Jim Donnan did to lay a foundation there with his recruits uh, around the you know 2000 was big for Mark Rick's first couple of years. You know, as a man, as a, you know, we had him on a couple of weeks ago on our podcast. I mean, there's no better person that could lead a program than, than Mark Richt. And, uh, you know, I think he made such an impact on the state, the university, the program that uh, you have to honor him. And, uh, you know, and it wasn't like he had bad football teams. He had some he had some downs, but there was a lot of highs under under Mark Richt. And, uh, you know, he was a well of a coach. Now, I think what what the difference between him and Kirby is just how Kirby's able to recruit. And, uh, you know, I think if uh, if he could have recruited like Kirby, he'd be in the same position. Uh but, you know, he was almost loyal to a fault to some of these kids that he went out and recruited and, uh, you know, brought them in. But, uh, you know, on our podcast, just uh, hearing what he would say about the, the coach and, and, and man he was trying to be to these players uh, was very inspiring. And you have a story at uh, OnlineAthens.com today about Mark Richt and him and Catherine moving back to town. And uh, the photo we used, you know, he had the Georgia sweatshirt on. That was kind of the first time I feel like I've seen him, you know, really – wear the Georgia, uh, you know, gear since he kind of left and went to Miami and all. But uh, that was good to see him, uh, you know, wear that, embrace Georgia. And, uh, you know, I think uh, I think he can be a great um, uh, asset and, uh, you know, a, a great figure for Georgia to lean on for a long time. Yeah, the story's on onlineathens.com. We don't do this enough, probably. Uh, that's a subscriber-only story. Um I was able to spend uh, some time with Mark at his, at his uh, new Athens home and I talked a little bit with Catherine, his wife. And um, so these are the kind of stories we try to bring you guys. This is our, this is called the sales pitch. Yeah. We, we uh, usually have, what is it? A dollar for six months available for first time subscribers. Yeah. So, um, you know, Ryan had a good story this week on uh, one of the local high school coaches. Uh, these are stories that kind of go beyond the headlines or, or beyond the scores, I should say, and try to take you uh, into these people's lives. And uh, so check it out. And uh, this would also be the time to, since Ryan is, uh, you know, he has a, a, a fragile ego so if you don't give some five-star reviews mm. just for his part in the podcast now i you know i stumble around i don't really do much on this podcast but ryan is he kind of lights it up and he also does the board and stuff and i do edit this thing so <laughs> give me a five star and uh make a nice comment uh, underneath that but uh you know look mo- most uh stuff that you're reading now is is behind a paywall because uh got to pay the bills uh you know we're in a podcast studio it costs money to have this equipment and uh we provide this for free and, and sal- we appreciate you listening and salaries too yeah absolutely um so anyway check that out and um we got more good coverage obviously coming uh for you as the bulldogs crank up uh and make this stretch run that they hope uh, leads to a championship um, and so check out that Mark Rick story on onlineathens.com. Now let's bring on Eric Bloom to talk Missouri, Georgia. All right, let's talk more about Missouri and Georgia, or I guess it's kind of like the Georgia Florida game. We need to call it Georgia, Missouri, right, Ryan? Uh, yeah, that sounds good. Coming on now is Eric Bloom from the Columbia Daily Tribune who covers the Tigers. And uh, appreciate him rejoining us. Uh, he's been on with us in the past. Eric, how are you? I am doing well. It's probably a lot colder up here in, in Columbia than it is in Athens. What is it right now? Because we, we've got a little cold spell down here, a little bit. Oh, it's like mid thirties, if not like you win. 30s. You win. Yeah, I'm glad. Uh, glad you're not going up there uh, this week. Mark. You win. Yeah. All right, Eric. It's year two of Eli Drinkwitz. Um, how's that going? This is not the team that pushed Georgia in the first half last year. Um, it looks like from seeing some of the games and some of the scores. Why is that? Yeah, it's kind of been unexpected. A lot of people thought this was kind of a year for Missouri to even push Georgia, maybe get second place in the East and really start making that trek. Because it seems like it's, a, you know, at least this year, definitely, you know, Florida and Georgia are the most two consistent teams in the SEC East. It, it's a mountain between Florida and Georgia right now. And so this is kind of the year to close that gap a little bit, at least get to second place, because I don't think anyone thought they could beat Georgia this year, even at their best. But 
I mean, it just just it has all kind of decimated with with the run defense. It's all kind of started and stopped there. I mean, when you allow 250 yards to Vanderbilt's third string, that's kind of an unhealthy sign of where the defense is. And I mean, they lost Nick Bolton, uh, who's now starting for the Chiefs and one of the only defenders on that team who's doing really well. It, it seems like he made up for a lot, you know, last year. When you kind of look at, you know, it's essentially the same roster minus Nick Bolton, uh, at least in the front six for Missouri. And so they just haven't been able to stop anybody. It's it's just a weird coincidence that every Power Five team Missouri plays is a great offensive line. It's it's just a weird coincidence that way. And so Missouri just had so many problems with that this year, led to the firing of their defensive line coach Jethro Franklin after the Tennessee game, which they lost by 38 at home to Tennessee, which was a huge wake up call to the program. And Things are going okay. Missouri still could make a bowl this year, but really in terms of what lofty expectations for the program were on the field this year is definitely falling short. Eric, I'm always curious, what are other beat writers saying about this Georgia team? Because they seem head and shoulders above pretty much everybody in the country. What's the talk about the Bulldogs? You know, I know y'all y'all talk about Missouri a lot, but I mean, what's the kind of the, the feel uh, amongst beat writers uh, in Columbia especially? that Missouri does not have a shot, even if they play their best game this weekend. I mean, Missouri is very good offensively. They have a solid offensive line themselves, a deep room of talented receivers, some really good blocking tight ends, one of the best running backs in the conference in Tyler Beatty, and a pretty great game manager at quarterback, Connor Bazelak, even though he hasn't played all that great in recent weeks, but we haven't thought he's been 100% health-wise during that time. So they have some really good pieces in place and drink with this kind of built his name as an offensive guru, really, with unique play calling and kind of nitpicking from Andy Reid and Gus Malzahn and even a little bit of Brian Harson and Gene Chizik and just guys that he's worked with or, you know, had influence from close from. He's kind of adapted into his own system. And, you know, even with all that said, Missouri has all their ducks in a row. Georgia's just on another level. I mean, Georgia might be on another level from everybody in the country. I mean, last night was the CFP, first CFP release, and the drama was, okay, how do you place two through seven, or I guess two through nine in a sense, because Georgia's well in a way number one and pending a loss before the SEC title game. They're a lock for the college football playoff. And so it's just how, how we talk, I look at Georgia. It might not be the perception down in Athens, but if Georgia doesn't win the national title this year, it's going to be a major disappointment at this time. Georgia's defense, especially their front seven, is as good as I've seen at the collegiate level in my time covering the SEC. It, it, it's just dominant and everything you want a collegiate defense to be. And so maybe they get tested with a team later in the season, but, I mean, things are just setting up incredibly well for Georgia. Eric, uh, I know it's as we record this on a Wednesday afternoon, uh, Drinkwitz hasn't said who he's going to be playing at quarterback to start with. Saturday, um, Connor Bazelak has a quote-unquote soft tissue injury. Tell us about the two backups, what they bring, and who do you think is going to be the guy? Yeah, so we really don't know anything. We pushed for answers yesterday, and Drinkwitz is kind of referring all of us to the usual Thursday, 5 p.m. Central kind of NFL-style injury report that they release every week. We don't know if Connor Bazelak is even practicing this week. They shut off all media access to practice. We usually get, I mean, kind of one quarter of one practice a week, about 40 minutes to kind of just get a look at the team. We didn't even get that this week. Um, and so if Connor Bazelak can't go, and if you remember two years ago, the last time Missouri visited Georgia, they, Kelly Bryant was hurt and couldn't go, so they had to play a backup. Uh, and so it looks to be kind of similar here. The two backups are Brady Cook, a redshirt freshman, kind of a sophomore, only got playing time in some of the, you know, uh, la- you know, unimportant moments last year, but looks to be a, have a very strong arm and looks to be kind of, you know, just a, a year behind production-wise of what Connor Payslack was doing. Um, and he might be the favorite to start. I think that there's a little bit more trust there from Jarenkowitz because he's been in the program a little bit longer, even if he's not as a mobile quarterback, which might open up their offense a little bit more. And then the, the other option would be Tyler Macon, a true freshman from East St. Louis, who is definitely more mobile quarterback but has an arm, and he's the guy that replaced Connor against Vanderbilt and did run for a touchdown. And just seems like he kind of you know is more of the explosive guy for, with the ball in his hands, but it's definitely a step down no matter who you go to from Connor. I mean, Connor just can't it just mentally is better and has shown more proficiency and is the only one of the three that has played 
you know, in true SEC important environments before. I mean, yeah, I mean, Tyler Mason got about five minutes at the end of the Vanderbilt game last week, but it's definitely a step down. And I think that going into an atmosphere with the number one team in the country and you expect, you know, 90,000 plus to be there on Saturday, it's a new environment for whoever's going to play quarterback in Congress on Alpha. All right, you just said something that I need to come back and circle back and ask about, which is NFL-style injury reports now. Uh, Mark Rick, back in the day, I'm thinking 2000, I don't even remember exactly when it was, maybe around 2011, 12, 13, I don't know. He had an injury report that basically because the uh, he got sick of talking about injuries, so Ron Corson, who is the head trainer, would put it out like a daily injury report. And, uh, you know, you didn't, you at least got something. Uh, they would say if a guy was out, if he was, uh, I don't even know if they use the term questionable. So tell me about Missouri's injury report, and is it of actual value? Do you look at it Thursday and have an idea what's going to happen Saturday? I, I think it's actually of value, and I'm sure Drink is absolutely sick of talking about it. And then when he got like the first five questions that his presser were about the health of the starting quarterback, he clearly looked frustrated yesterday. Uh, but, yeah, it's actually of value. I mean, they do it the kind of – probable, questionable, doubtful out, same levels. But usually when they do questionable, that means they're playing doubtful, unless something drastically changes, they're out. So it really is the top two means they're playing, the bottom two means they're not. That's kind of the trend, I think. Um, four of the five they had as questionable against Vanderbilt all played. Um, and then the week before that, uh, two weeks before that, would have been Texas A&M, and they had three of the five played. And, 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 those were the, and all of those were the major contributors. Like If you're a major contributor and you're in questionable, you're probably going to play. And so, yes, it's actually a value. And so we'll see where Connor comes in and if the team has any other injuries. I mean, we, 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 the team is not at 100% health other than quarterback. And so we'll see where some of the other things stand and if Missouri can even have their optimal lineup out there for what is available to go against Georgia. One bright spot is Tyler Beatty, uh, fourth in the nation, I believe, in rushing. I think the last time that uh... – Georgia faced a uh, somebody <laughs> that ranked that high was uh, Chris Rodriguez at Kentucky a few weeks ago, and they held him to about 22 yards. So what can Beatty bring, and, and will he uh, be able to get past this stout Georgia defense? I, I think that Chris Rodriguez has better protection up front um, than Tyler Beatty does, but Tyler Beatty is a better running back than Chris Rodriguez. When we, when we saw him against Kentucky – he had a, a complete fumbling problem. Might have fumbled the ball three or three times in that game. And just that's not an issue when it comes to Tyler Beatty. Tyler Beatty's ball security is great. He can just see blocks and, you know, he's elusive to tackle. And, you know, there's been ta- a couple of tackles the past couple of weeks where defender has him wrapped up and he just completely spins out of it and goes for, you know, 40 more yards down the field. I'd imagine that Georgia's defense is going to be the, the most, you know, stout one they've seen. But Tyler Beatty is, is, is going to be a good challenge for them. He's, he's, one of the better running backs in the conference, if not the country right now. You know, Eli Drinkwitz has consistently said he's the least great talked about player in the country. He, he'll be nominated for, like, the Doak Walker Award. I'm pretty sure he won't win it. That'll go to Kenneth Walker, probably Michigan State. But you look at just his style of play, and, I mean, this is his fourth year in Columbia and his first year starting. He clearly learned from some really good running backs in front of him, like Larry Roundtree and Demarie Crockett, who are both in the NFL now. And he clearly learned that information is using all of it and has really been Missouri's most explosive player. And there's really talk that, you know, the comparison to him in terms of what he means in Missouri's offense going back to the Big 12 days would be Brad Smith. You know, Brad Smith at times really put the team on his back. There was no other impact player around him. And when they needed a play through the air or with, with his legs, Brad Smith could make it. And obviously Tyler Beatty has played a different position than Brad Smith did it, as opposed to a quarterback and a running back. But when it seems like they needed some sort of a big play to secure a game or get back in a game, if Tyler Beatty's not making it, it's not happening. And so just if Georgia stops in, Missouri's chances of winning go from .001 to nothing. <laughs> Got a question about SEC expansion. With Texas and Oklahoma joining the league, you know, in 2025 or, you know, probably earlier than that. Where do you think Missouri football's place in this conference is going forward in terms of, you know, if you look at it now and you had a rank of 1 to 14, Missouri would be obviously towards the bottom. And then you bring in two programs that pour a lot of resources in, have tradition. Um, you know, how is the addition of those two teams to the conference kind of viewed in Columbia? Yeah, if you remember back to the last round of expansion when a and Missouri joined, they had instant legitimacy with those two programs, with it being Johnny Manziel in 12, and the Missouri made the SEC title game in both 13 and 14, even though they lost both those games. 
Uh, and it's really been nothing kind of from both programs outside of some minor blips with Jimbo Fisher since then in terms of conference relevance, even though I think in terms of geography and, and in terms of just overall acceptance, A&M mm-hmm. is definitely a step ahead of Missouri. And I would agree with you that Missouri is either 13 or 14 with most fan bases, even though South Carolina and Arkansas haven't been in the league that long. They're just more generally accepted than Missouri would be kind of down there with Vanderbilt because of the on-field product. Um, but... I think that adding in Texas and Oklahoma, especially Oklahoma, is a major positive. And I think that because you're going from 14 to 16, there's going to have to be a revamp of the SEC scheduling, which I think that benefits everybody. You know, Missouri is going to go, you know, 12 years without playing at Alabama, at Ole Miss, at A&M, which still hasn't happened, has only happened, I think, once in the SEC era, and then at LSU. And that's just awful. Like, a revamp pod system has been needed for years. And so as much as Texas and Oklahoma adding those former rivalries helps and gives Missouri more of an identity in that way, because they already have that with A&M, but they don't play that often. So I think that the revamp of the schedule and getting to be in friendly confines with the entire league and not just the schools in the SEC East benefits them tremendously. And so we'll see how those other two teams kind of make the transition, because if you remember back to this past weekend when Baylor beat Texas, you know, Baylor's fans were chanting SEC, SEC at the end of the game, which is really funny. Uh, so it's going to be an interesting transition for them, and we'll see how they fit in the SEC. But I think this is no doubt an absolutely positive for Missouri in this round of expansion that all they have to do is just watch. Uh, five-star wide receiver Luther Burden committed to Missouri a couple weeks ago, kind of uh, took the Alabama and Georgia hats and tossed them away and then uh, put the Missouri Missouri hat on. I think he's the uh, well, the number six overall recruit or something for for uh, next year's class. But uh, what will he bring to Missouri, and do you ultimately see him sticking? It sounds like he's pretty uh, comfortable with uh, Missouri right now. Will, uh, he, will he end up in Missouri? Yeah, he, he's actually been elevated number five in the country, and the more important thing, I think, for Missouri is that he's the number two overall prospect committed in program history, and the number one being Doriel Greenback, and that really didn't work out for the program. So there's really a route for Luther Burden here to be a program legend from day one. I mean, it, it would have been a, a great signing even by Georgia's standards, but Missouri just doesn't get kids like this. And that's why when I attended his signing ceremony, or I guess his commitment ceremony, it wasn't a signing, it's still a verbal until December, you know, I asked him, how locked in are you when Kirby Smart can still be hitting you up every day? That's, that's still technically a thing that could be happening. He's like, no, I'm 100% locked in and I'm early enrolling. And so I, 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 I got to trust the kid that he's 100% locked in. He took his official visit to Georgia, got to see everything, and he still picked Eli Tranquist. And I think that, you know, one thing that could be looked at, too, is I'm not sure exactly where in Georgia Swanee is and where Collins Hill High School is, but they got Sam Horn from the Atlanta area, I believe, as well was the number 10 pro-style quarterback in the 2022 class. And so having a quarterback of that quality, which they haven't had in a while, come in and having a wide receiver like that could really make the dominoes fall and really get things back on track here. So, yeah, even though it kind of seemed like it was a final two of Mizzou and Georgia, I think it's pretty much locked down and Luther Burden is going to stay home. And just from his reasoning, it looks like he just really wants to you know, stay home and help the home state program uh, and be a home state legend. Those things really matter to him. And so... It, it, it's quite the get from Missouri because there is no exact comparison in, in program history of, oh, he's the first big recruit since blank. There is nothing like that, just in terms of what his production could be. So it, 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 it's a sign that the recruiting, you know, at least help the Missouri program, even if on field's falling behind this year, recruiting is only picking up. Swanee's about, uh, what, an hour down the road, I think, and Collins Hill is, I think, the number one team in the state in their highest classification this year. So that's pretty good, pretty good get. All right, Eric, uh, we'll wrap it up with this question. How do you think uh, Missouri will handle this road environment for Georgia? It's a, it's an early start. Maybe that will help them. Um, and do you think Missouri – or actually, what what is the path for Missouri to kind of stay within two touchdowns uh, entering the fourth quarter? <laughs> Good one. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, the, uh, Missouri has played a lot of – I guess that's maybe a benefit is that they have played a lot of 11 a.m. games, and I think – of, this will be the ninth game of the year. I think six or five or six of them have been 11 a.m. picks central time. So that, that that won't affect them. I think the road environment really won't affect them that much, as, as much as it does other teams, just because they're going to be so locked into what they're doing. And they're not a team that gets rattled in that way very often. They're more so rattled by their own mistakes, more so than other teams that take me to them. But there is a difference when it's Georgia, because they, have, because they haven't played a team of this caliber this season and maybe under drink, which they played Alabama last year. But they... 
beat the spread against out number then number two Alabama to, to open the Jingles era last season. So, I mean, I just think this is going to be Georgia running over them. There's nothing Missouri can do about it. The spread is somewhere above five touchdowns, and I'm going to pick Georgia to cover the spread. I mean, if Missouri can show some sort of Rocky-type effort where they complete the game and look in one piece and look okay, I think that's a win for them, considering the last three games of the season are all winnable, and they can still get to 7-5 and five and make a bowl. It's just this weekend, they kind of just got to take their lumps and move on. All right, Eric, we appreciate you joining us, and uh, tell folks where they can uh, read your stuff. Yeah, uh, fellow member of the USA Today Network, you can find us at, online at columbiatribune.com slash sports, and you can follow me on Twitter at by Eric Blum, B-Y-E-R-I-C-B-L-U-M. All right, Eric, appreciate you joining us. Safe travels. We'll see you uh, in the press box on Saturday. Looking forward to it. Thank you. All right, we're about to make our picks, and uh, we'll update our records. We want to thank Eric, by the way, for joining us to talk Georgia, Missouri. Ryan, there's a new Georgia Southern coach. Yeah, well, that was a shock, wasn't it? Um, I don't know if it's a shock. I mean, you don't, no offense to the the mighty Eagles down in South Georgia, but you don't go from USC to Georgia Southern. You take like a offensive coordinator job at uh, I don't know Washington State or something. Clay Helton is the guy I'm talking about. Was uh, <laughs> was JT Daniels' former coach before he came to Georgia. Um, and look, I mean, I don't know what you're talking about. Brian Van Gorda went from the Jacksonville Jaguars, I believe, <laughs> to Georgia Southern. And uh, look, they haven't had much stability in that program at the head coaching position uh, since uh, the guy that left for Navy, right? Or Army, I guess. Uh, Jeff Munkin. Munkin, yeah. I heard rumors that they asked uh, old Paul uh, Johnson to come back. I mean, is that right? Yeah. That was a rumor. That was all, that was swirling on the Twitter yesterday. How old is Paul Johnson? Uh, too old to be coaching. I don't know. But uh, you know, why do they have to have that same system? I, you know, I mean, that's like they got to bring back. Uh, I mean, they're not anymore. Paul Johnson. I know that's. Yeah. It's gonna be interesting. Will they do that thing? Who was O Tech a couple years ago? Yeah. Where they lined up in the uh, in the spring game. Yeah. They lined up in the in the uh, what do you call that thing? Wishbone or whatever that is and. Triple option? Triple option, yeah. thank you. And then they shifted out to, uh, you know, four wide or something. All right, here we go. I went 6-8 and eight last week against the spread. I'm now 59-60 and 60 for the season. Ron, what would you do? 9-5. and five. How do you like them apples? I don't believe it. Uh, yeah. I'll uh, leave my sheet of paper here with you to double-check my All right, here we go. Here we go. Virginia Tech is at Boston College. It is the Hokies by 2.5. I'm back on the uh, Hokie bandwagon. They've had some uh, good performances of late, so... Um, plus, uh, you know, Boston College did beat Missouri, but I'm going to take the Hokies giving the two and a half. So BC is favored by two and a half. No, it's Virginia Tech by two and a half. Oh, there you go. Um, then uh, give me BC. All right. Liberty is at Ole Miss. Uh, you might have heard this guy Hugh Freeze is coming back to. I was kind of surprised at that line, too, when I saw it. It's uh, the Rebels by eight and a half. Okay. I saw nine and a half, so it's even dropped from then. So that means people are hard on Liberty, aren't they? I'm taking the Lane Kiffins. Um, you know, I think it's going to be a, I think it's going to be a tough game for Freeze to kind of be back in that environment. Oh yeah. Do you, you think he's going to tailgate at the uh, Grove before him? <laughs> maybe pass out some phone numbers. I don't know. Maybe. That's that's not appropriate. Hey hey hey. Um, Wake Forest is at North Carolina. Oh, but did you tell me who you're taking? Uh, I was going to take Ole Miss. Yeah. Okay. I, I mean, but that is a tricky line, isn't it? I mean, that's like Vegas saying begging you to take Ole Miss. Wake Forest at North Carolina, the Tar Heels by two and a half. Um, first of all, I don't understand that line. No, 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 no. Wake had to be favored by two and a half, right? I'm telling you, that's what I'm seeing. I mean, you, Sorry, you're, you're probably right. Where Where's the game? The game's in Chapel Hill. Oh, uh, okay. Well, maybe that gives them the... I'm going to look it up again. This is going to uh, be... You're probably, you're probably right. And that's right. my my bet. But So I can't believe the line. I'm taking the Wake Forest. Um, I'm not a believer in the Tar Heels this year. Wake at plus two and a half at, you know? Yeah. And they're what, eight? They were eighth in the the college football playoff, were they not? Uh, I don't have it in front of me, but they were were somewhere in that range. Eight, eight, nine, somewhere in there. All right, I'm uh, doing a little – this is from two days ago. No, I mean – you know, North Carolina was supposed to be the team this year in the ACC. Yep, it's, it was. Yep, I was correct on that. It's uh, it's the Tar Heels favored by two and a half. All right, so Ohio State at Nebraska. The Cornhuskers are getting fourteen and a half. Um, I am taking Ohio State. I I think Ohio State's going to be uh, 
kind of looking to impress the committee. And um, I'm a little surprised that uh, it's uh, only 14 and a half. Yeah, that seemed a little low, didn't it? I mean, uh, the way the Ohio State's been playing. But, I mean, heck, Penn State gave them a pretty good game last week. So, uh, But I just don't have faith in, in Nebraska. I'm going with you in Ohio State. Georgia Tech's at Miami. Um, I think I took the Yellow Jackets last week, and I'm still uh, smarting over that. Hurricanes favored by 10.5. Give me the you. Uh, I'll take Tech. That's hard to say sometimes, but, you know, uh, Georgia Tech, uh, you know, losing last week to, to uh, Vatech and Miami with the big win last week. I, I just think this is sitting for, a, a, you know, opportunity for a close game. So I'll go Georgia Tech. Baylor is at TCU. It's the Bears minus six and a half. Uh, Gary Patterson is yeah. out. Yeah. He, uh, I guess, was asked to, or I guess he could have coached out the season, but he's no longer coaching. Uh, you might remember that Gary Patterson and Baylor played Georgia in the first bowl game for Kirby Smart as head coach in the Liberty Bowl. TCU. TCU. Yeah. What did I say, Baylor? Mm-hmm. Yeah, TCU. Gary Patterson, TCU. Um, he's an interesting guy. Uh, yeah. I think in the hotel lobby there before the press conference, he was fiddling around on a piano or maybe had a guitar or something. Like he's a, he's a singer. He he uh, search him up on YouTube. I think he like recorded some songs during the pandemic. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, maybe he has a career as a you know a Billy Joel type uh, piano man. Could be. Could be. All right. Um, did you pick that one? Uh, I'm gonna take Baylor with the with the stuff going on in uh, TCU. Yeah, I'm taking the Bears also. Uh, Auburn at Texas A&M. It's the Aggies by four and a half. That's a little bit too uh, too many points given up. I'm going to take Auburn. I'm going to get the points. I'm going to take Auburn. All right, give me A&M. Four and a half to them. I mean, at home. I mean, Auburn still doesn't do much for me. I don't know. Bo Nix is playing much better, but I'll go A&M at home. All right, Michigan State's at Purdue. It's the Spartans by two and a half. That sounds right, yeah. Uh, I'm going to take – look, Michigan State is sitting pretty in the top four. Purdue, uh, didn't they pull that upset over Iowa? Yeah. I'm but, still taking the Mel Tuckers. And then Iowa lost to who last week pretty bad? I'm taking the Mel Tuckers. Uh, yeah, yeah. I like what Michigan State's got going. And, you know, with Mel Tucker leading with that, that mindset that he has, that Kirby Smart mindset slash Nick Saban mindset, give me Michigan State. Oklahoma State's at West Virginia. It's the Mountaineers getting two and a half. <sighs> yeah, it's a tough one. It's not tough. I'm taking the Cowboys. Uh, give me o- Oklahoma State. Well, you know, remember a couple weeks ago when they were seven-point underdogs at Iowa State, and I'm like, how is that possible? And they did cover that, but uh, they still lost. So I will go with West Virginia. All right, Mississippi State's at Arkansas. The Razorbacks are favored by five and a half. You know what? I have a, uh, a very tough relationship with uh, Mike Leach and picking games. It just didn't work out for me. But I'm not really buying that Arkansas is going to um, be able to. It's a Razorbacks by five and a half, right? Isn't that mm-hmm, what I said? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm taking those points. Give me, give me uh, Mike Leach and company. Uh, Mississippi, yeah. Mississippi State, a surprising. What are they? They're in the top twenty of the uh, yeah. CFPs. Yeah, they, I mean they had a good win last week and uh, pretty much handed it to Kentucky. So I'm gonna have to go with you too, Miss Miss uh, Mississippi State. LSU at Alabama, tied by 28 and a half. Let's run through these fast because I got I got to cruise. I'm taking Bama. Um, I mean, I guess LSU could have another one of those games like they did against Florida, but I'm not seeing it. I'm, I'm taking the tide. I'll go LSU just to uh, pick against uh, what was that? 28, 28 and a half. 28 and a half. Whew. that's a lot for that game. Give me LSU. Tennessee is at Kentucky. The Wildcats are favored by a half a point. I'm taking Tennessee. Yeah, I'll go UT too. I think they're playing pretty well. Florida at South Carolina. It's the Gamecocks getting 18 and a half at home. That's just like a gift wrap. That's so many points. Give me the Gators. Uh, okay, yeah, I'll go say, yeah. I mean, South Carolina is awful. And, uh, you know, they. Hey, what about your boy at quarterback? Is he playing this week? I hope so. I mean, I, I'm pulling for Zeb, but when you have not much around you, and I mean, no offense to him, but when you are a grad assistant and you're the starting quarterback, that's pretty bad for the uh, for the for the um, Gamecocks. All right, last one is the Georgia Missouri game in Sanford Stadium, twelve o'clock kick. It'll be uh, beautiful. It'll be a little chilly, won't it? I don't know. Probably will be. Yeah, got a front moving in Thursday. This is a huge number: thirty-nine and a half points. That's amazing. Missouri is not good. This is a tough line. This is a tough line. I'm taking Georgia. 
I mean, I mean, I think that look, if you win forty-five to six, you don't cover, right? Exactly. That's what I'm thinking. That is a tough line, but I'm still taking. Look, they. They're going to do it. It's at home. I mean, I can see this being a 51-7, 55-7. Have we talked about Missouri's run defense? It's terrible. It's uh, 120 in the I think Zamir is going to run for 200. I hope so. That'd be good. Hey, remember last week we talked about if Georgia would miss Kendall Milton? They did not. <laughs> uh, you know, so, so yeah, I think any number of Georgia running backs uh, can, can get in there and, and get it done. Yeah, and, and I think I think Georgia can do whatever they Look, want to. Uh, Stetson Bennett is not as speedy as Mike Wright, the Vanderbilt quarterback, but that dude had like, I think it was like two rushes, uh, two different runs for like 70, 75 yards. I mean, can Stetson get like a 45-yard run? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. That, that that would be cool. Now, if JT's playing, no, but uh, <laughs> we'll see what happens uh, then. But, uh, I mean, I, I'm a, I'll pick Missouri, and the only reason is because, I mean, I could see this being a – a forty-two to three, you know, game. I guess that would still cover, uh, maybe forty-five to seven, you know, somewhere in there. But if it's going to be that close, give me, give me Missouri to somehow keep this under thirty-nine. All right, that's the uh, podcast. We will talk to you all next week as uh, Georgia will head to Tennessee, and uh, have a great week and enjoy. I guess if you're going to the parade for the Braves, enjoy that. But uh, bright and early for uh, the Bulldogs on Saturday in Sanford. See ya. See y'all there. So, John, question. With Auburn firing Gus Malzahn, it leaves Ed Ogeron as the SEC's only coach who has beaten Nick Saban. Who's going to be the next SEC coach to beat Saban? Well, I don't think he'll be the guy that a lot of people think he will be. Jimbo Fisher, Texas A&M. I like Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss. He almost beat Saban last year, and he almost beat Saban when he was at Tennessee. Fisher promised he was going to thump Saban's rump whenever Alabama comes to College Station. I think he's got a shot. He improved Texas A&M to 9-1 last year. He's got a national championship to his name. If Haynes King is the real deal, he's got an early opportunity in October to beat Nick Saban. Look at Saban's track record for losses. It's usually to a great quarterback. Cam Newton, Johnny Manziel, or Joe Burrow. Matt Corral at Ole Miss, I think, could be the best quarterback in the league. I'm Blake Topmeyer, and this is SEC Football Unfiltered, a new podcast from the USA Today Network. Each week, we'll discuss the hottest topics that matter to the passionate fan bases of the SEC. I've covered the SEC for eight years. As for my co-host, longtime sports columnist john adams let's just say he's got a few decades on me not as many decades as some people think contrary to popular opinion i did not cover general Neyland, but i did interview bear bright and i interviewed nick saban and i covered archie manning and peyton manning more insightful interview john bear bryant archie manning steve spurrier or johnny majors gotta go with steve spurrier there he's the great quipster SEC Football Unfiltered debuts this summer. Let John and I be your tour guides from the season opener through the national championship. Subscribe and listen wherever you get your podcasts.